Hey everybody, welcome to The Briefing Room. I'm ABC's Devin Dwyer in Washington. Great to have you with us on this Friday. A lot of breaking news to get into. Let's start with a sigh of relief, guys. We are not going to have a government <laughs> shutdown. The president has signed the bill. It takes a government shutdown off the table until at least the end of the fiscal year. So we are out of the woods after a pretty turbulent couple of days. Great to have Catherine Falders, our White House reporter, with us. Bishop Garrison making his Briefing Room debut. Bishop, you. uh, you're the interim executive director at the Truman National Security Project, an yes. Iraq war veteran. Yes. Also... Uh, a member of the Obama administration for some time. You served in three agencies, the VA, uh, DHS, and the Pentagon. You were yes. Also Pentagon. Great. So we are going to have your perspective in this conversation uh, as well. But let's start by taking a look back at the president's news just a few minutes ago in the Rose Garden announcing he's going to sign a national emergency declaration. Take a listen. We're going to be signing today and registering national emergency and it's a great thing to do by signing the national emergency something signed many times by other presidents many many times what we want really want to do is simple it's not like it's complicated it's very simple all right, so the president, Catherine, you broke this reporting uh, many weeks back that the president was considering doing mm -hmm. this, had been contemplating it, his team's been looking at it for weeks. What does this actually do? Well, that's a good question. The lawyers for the White House, the Department of Justice, and the Pentagon have, for weeks, as you mentioned, been pouring um, over these details for executive action and uh, a national emergency. Now, they say that um, with executive action, with the $1.4 billion, and with the 3.5 billion from a national emergency that that would ultimately uh, get the president to uh, you see that you see the numbers there on the screen to uh, 8 billion but uh, the bottom line is this is going to be challenged in the courts how uh, how is he going to do this how is this money going to be moved um, from all of these uh, programs at the Pentagon so that's what we'll also uh, be watching out for Devin and Bishop Garrison this your student of the precedent here uh, the president <laughs> today talked a lot about that so this has been done sure. many times before there's no sure. problem nothing to see here taking money that Congress has appropriated and putting it somewhere else. Sure. But this is different. Sure. Well, there are a few things. First, I'm just glad that Congress was able to move this bill forward so we could take care of the 800,000 families that were affected by the last shutdown. Uh, having been uh, an appointee that was affected by a previous shutdown myself, having been without work for 10 days, I know the stresses that that puts on you, the toll that it puts on families. So very happy that Congress went ahead and took care of that. Uh, the issue here, however, is uh, when you look at the National Emergency Act, you see the 50 times in the past you've had a president utilize it to take care of some type of issues. Those were done at inflection points. Those were done at times in which there was some type of true-to-life national emergency you could tangibly point to and say, hey, we need to take care of this and we need to move so fast that we don't have the time and uh, to go back to Congress at this particular point. I'm sorry. And, yeah, and of course, in this situation, as we were talking before, drugs, mm -hmm. illegal border crossings, they've yeah. been happening. They Absolutely. continue to happen. It's a problem. But maybe not a crisis because it's been going on for some time. Record low numbers in many cases. Yeah, when you talk about border crossings, you're talking about historically low numbers right now, lower than we, we've seen in uh, quite some time. Uh, the bigger piece of this, too, is if this was such an issue for this administration, why didn't they immediately take it up whenever they began? Uh, we're into uh, two years. The first time we really started truly hardline speaking about this since the elections were right into the run up to the midterms uh, in 2018. And it just seems that this is much more politically 
politically advantageous for this president and for his administration versus being an actual national uh, uh, national crisis that we need to address. And the president point. did talk today about this being a fulfillment of a campaign promise, among other things. Let's go to the border now to check on the situation there. Some of the things that Bishop uh, was talking about. Uh, our affiliate reporter Julio Chavez with KVIA, ABC's affiliate in El Paso, Texas is right there at the border fence. Julio, uh, what's the situation there? And tell us uh, the reaction you're starting to see in your community to the president's news. Well, Devin, the president's news didn't take people by surprise a whole lot. This is something that's been expected for the past three weeks. Um, what, what has uh, people reacting here in El Paso is the president's comments about there being a crisis at the border. Now, as you can see, I'm standing just a couple meters away from the border. That you can see behind me, that is the new Bollard-style fencing. That red monument right over my shoulder, that is in Juarez. That is in Mexico already. Now, uh, I'm in a protected area right next to the border highway. Let me tell you what I see every morning on my drive to work. Uh, as I drive along here, I will see families, groups of people that are turning themselves into Border Patrol. Uh, what Border Patrol agents have told me is they just need to be better equipped to deal with these larger groups of families instead of single Mexican men, which is what most of the facilities are built for. So for now, the reactions to the president's declaration of national emergency, a lot of people are saying there's not really an emergency. Our own representative has said that, but the Border Patrol agents say they simply want different kinds of funding. Julio Chavez uh, with our affiliate KVIA. Thank you so much for that reporting. Of course, guys, the president, Catherine, you were tracking it earlier this week, was in El Paso. Got a lot of blowback from community members uh, repeatedly saying this was not a crisis. Right, including uh, uh, the mayor there, too. A Republican. Re Republican uh, pushing back against him. And I think what we were talking about earlier about those statistics, it's important uh, to point out that in the Rose Garden, uh, the president was asked, where are you, where are you getting these statistics? Um, they mentioned the DHS statistics, the CPB statistics, and he says, well, I get a, a range of them. And he pushed back a little bit on the fact that border, border crossings have dropped. But, it, you know, the example that we fact-checked him on is in 2001, there were a little over 1.6 apprehensions at the border, 1.6 million. And now it's 396,000 in so it's, 2018. It's a, it's a so it's a 75% drop. And Bishop, as Julio was talking about there, one of the things that's interesting when we talk about this being an emergency, mm -hmm. sure. uh, there are there are uh, floods of, of migrants, caravans of migrants coming north. But in many cases, these are children, their families, their young people. They're not uh, the dangerous gangs, uh, hundreds of thousands of gangs of people that the president is portraying. Absolutely. What you actually have is a, humani a humanitarian crisis at the border. What you have or women and children that are fleeing uh, countries that have that are rich in crime, that have uh, violence, that have extremism within them, and they're just trying to find empathy here at our borders. They're just trying to be safe. More to the point, whenever you look at uh, the statistics as well, uh, particularly when you talk about uh, uh, drug trafficking, the majority of the illegal and illicit drugs are coming through ports of entry. The main issue we have with immigration is people overstaying visas. It's not people that are trying to uh, climb over walls. And the people that we've described these women and children are desperate. Desperation is not going to be stopped by a wall. They're going to find ways to make it here. Uh, the president, though, nonetheless determined to build that wall. I want to go to the Pentagon now, where Louis Martinez has been talking to military officials about what the trade-offs could be by the president tapping into some of uh, the Pentagon's budget to, uh, in his words, build a wall to stop an invasion. Louis, you've been looking at some of the construction projects that are on the docket that the president would have to pull money from. Give us a sense of what those projects are, what the trade-offs might be there. 
Well, Devin, well, when, you, when we ask questions specifically about what could be eliminated or shifted from the military construction budget towards the border wall projects, we get the answer, we're going to refer you to the White House. Now, the, obviously, no specifics here, very early in the game here from the Pentagon. But what we did hear from senior administration officials in advance of the president's announcement was that they are looking at what they call lower-priority military projects, projects that could be finished soon, uh, over the next couple of months, or over the next year or so, and that could then be refunded by an additional request from the fiscal year uh, proposal, the budget proposal that's going to come out in a couple of months. So, uh, I think the idea here is that they want to backfill some of this money that's going to be taken away uh, from them. Now, what, are, what kind of projects are we talking about? We're talking about ne necessary construction projects at military bases in the United States and overseas. We're talking about daycare facilities. We're talking about improvements to hospitals. We're talking about military housing. Um, there's a whole spectrum. Some of them could be at the lower end of these construction projects. In other words, they may be millions of dollars. Others are higher profile, uh, big ticket items. For example, uh, there is a very large project underway that will get underway in Landstuhl, Germany. This is the military facility, uh, the hospital where most of America's wounded in the, in the conflicts overseas in Iraq and in Afghanistan have gone for initial medical treatment. There is a huge, significant upgrade that's being done to that facility, a whole brand new facility that's going to be put there. Now, where I'm talking about this facility because that potentially it's on the table. But we don't really know which of these projects, whether they be short, small-scale small projects to the large-scale projects, could be impacted. Uh, but what's really significant here is the amounts of money that are being shifted away. We're talking about $3.5 billion in military construction, which falls under the president's emergency powers under this national emergency. There's an additional $2.5 billion that's coming from counter-narcotics uh, funding. Now, what's interesting about that is that really the amount of money that's in those funds as we speak is about 500 million that can be tapped by the president. But what you can do is you can shift funds from other projects. And the Pentagon is essentially going to have to shift as much as $2 billion extra into that fund, and they're going to do it in increments between 10 and 30 million. So it's so that otherwise it's going to trigger congressional action. So to get under that uh, regulatory um, authority, uh, they're going to shift probably from 80 accounts, uh, amounts that will total up to an additional $2 billion just to get into that. Kind of a little shell game that the administration is going through in order to get that money for, into that counter-narcotics fund. Louis Martinez, force at the Pentagon. Thanks for breaking it down, Louis. We'll see which projects uh, get hit in this effort. And I uh, do want to take a quick break from the conversation here to say we're monitoring some breaking news right now uh, coming out of Chicago. There's a mass shooting uh, and an active shooter situation, we're told, uh, in Aurora, Illinois. We know the FBI uh, in Chicago is now on scene. We are keeping a close eye on that situation. We understand there could also be uh, officers down. We are working to confirm the latest information. We'll have it for you uh, right here uh, on ABC News Live coming up shortly at the end of the briefing room. But I do want to turn to you, Bishop. I want to ask you about some of Louis' reporting. Sure. What's the reaction going to be in the military community well, to some of these projects getting uh, their budgets hit? Well, absolutely. Well, what, the first thing he actually talked about was uh, military housing. And that was something that I mentioned to you briefly uh, before we begin. But uh, a big hit here, and you're seeing this uh, from this past week, a part of the uh, SASC, the uh, Senate Armed Services Committee, a mm -hmm. subcommittee uh, hearing that they had was directly on the state of military housing right now. And 
in some areas is absolutely horrific. You're talking about black mold, you're talking about asbestos, surprisingly enough, in some mm. of these houses. Uh, uh, McSally, Senator McSally herself, uh, just said it's I'm disgusting. A Republican from, from Arizona, from Arizona mm. uh, mentioned how disgusting and how uh, just absolutely horrific these conditions are to have military families living in. So for you to turn around and say that it's a national emergency, that you need to take funding that could be reallocated and reappropriated to use to help them uh, clear up these conditions is just ridiculous. The second part, when you talk about drug interdiction, why are we not using these funds to actually do that versus pulling funds away to build a draconian policy of a wall that we don't need and isn't going to work? They're going to build tunnels. They're going to continue to find, they're going to go through ports of entry. They're going to continue to find ways in which they can go around uh, these walls that simply don't work. And in the meantime, we're taking away from policies that actually need this funding. And we know that that's part of the reason why so many legal challenges have started to crop up today, uh, suing the president over this move. Uh, let's talk about some of the legalities now uh, with Chris Riano. He joins us live from New York. He is uh, a constitutional law professor at Columbia University. Chris, break down the constitutional question here uh, that a lot of these different groups and states now preparing to sue the president will be bringing to the courts. You know, it's incredible because what you really see here is a, a you know, challenge between the various branches of government. This is constitutional law 101. And the president acted under an act of Congress. So the question now will be, in many ways, what will Congress do looking at this national emergency that's been declared? And as you noted, what will the courts do? You have all three branches of government, the two proactive and the one reactive, that are all going to be kind of looking at this and working together in order to see if this act of the president really fits within the definition of what's you know, expected within this congressional act uh, from you know, decades and decades ago. I believe if you look at this, it is a little bit unique from a constitutional perspective. Usually when the president or prior presidents have acted under this congressional act, they've done so in, in, when it comes to sanctions. There's a lot of economic things that have been done, but not so much something like this. And I think something that you and I were talking about before, Devin, you know, if you look at this, Congress has the power of the purse. It doesn't necessarily uh, look from a, a constitutional perspective like, you know, maybe the president has the power to move the money that's already been allocated when it doesn't necessarily fit within this congressional kind of act. And so I think these are the types of questions you're going to see. And as you noted, it doesn't surprise me that right from the get go, you're going to see lawsuits. I wouldn't be surprised if you see some court action very, very quickly, because I bet there's going to be a lot of groups that look to immediately see what they can do to try to uh, ameliorate this from happening and for anything from actually happening under this emergency act. Thanks, Chris. And Democrats on Capitol Hill are already talking about bringing a lawsuit. Let's go to our senior congressional correspondent, Mary Bruce. Mary, give us uh, your sense of reaction from Hill leaders to the president's announcement. And could we expect to see a lawsuit, as Chris was talking about, from Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer? Yeah, Devin, Democratic leaders on the Hill have made clear they are going to use every tool they have available to try and block the president, prevent this declaration uh, from essentially going into effect. And they said they can challenge this in the courts and on the Hill. And we are already seeing Democrats uh, preparing to use the, the power that they have up there, which is to try and, and introduce a resolution to terminate the president's uh, national emergency declaration. And it, given the outcry and the frustration and, and the furious reaction that we've seen from Democrats, 
Democrats up on the Hill, it does seem that such a resolution would pass in the House, which then means it would go to the Republican-controlled Senate. And that would put Republicans there in a very tricky political position. Because even though right now Republican leadership is now on board with this move, you have a lot of members that I've talked with who are not comfortable with this. They say it sets a terrible precedent, that it is a bad move, a mistake. You even have a Republican like Senator Marco Rubio saying that it violates the Constitution. The bigger picture here, though, is that even if this kind of resolution can pass through the House and the Senate, the president could veto it. And the, the possibility that, that Congress can get together a veto-proof majority, that is a very, very high bar. And so it's hard to see how uh, Congress will actually be able to prevent the president from doing this. But Democrats have made clear they are certainly going to try. And politically, uh, it can be a, it'll be a difficult issue for Republicans to tackle down the road. And Chris Rihanna, we've already heard that the Justice Department has informed the White House that they are expecting this uh, to be blocked, at least temporarily, by the courts. Do you have any sense of how quickly we could see an injunction here preventing the president from even starting construction? Absolutely. I mean, all it takes is for somebody to get into a courthouse, get in front of a federal judge, and get a federal judge to issue an injunction. Federal judges obviously work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It could happen as soon as uh, this evening if, if somebody actually files something and gets in front of uh, a judge very quickly. Um, and I think that's basically what you'd be looking at. It could happen very, very fast. Uh, and Mary Bruce, uh, any sense of uh, how legislators uh, up on Capitol Hill could be trying to protect border communities as well? I understand you were tracking some efforts to, uh, say, protect Texas landowners, for example, on the border from having their land seized. Yeah, well, look, they're looking at everything, they, every tool they have available uh, to try and prevent uh, the fallout, as they would see it, from the president's move here, and also do everything they can to obstruct the president's move. I think everyone, you know, we're not the only ones combing through all of this. I think lawmakers are looking, taking a very close look at this. They are out next week, but I'm told that when they come back, you're likely to see a lot of action up on the Hill on both fronts to see what they can do to try and mitigate the impacts of this and also what they can do bigger picture to try and block and thwart this move Entirely. All right, Mary Bruce for us on Capitol Hill. Thank you. Fascinating conversation. Christopher Riano in New York, great to have you. Bishop Garrison, thank you so much for your voice Thanks and for, for coming me. in. Uh, a big story. We'll continue to follow. We'd love to have you back and continue Absolutely. the conversation. I uh, do want to button up this portion of our coverage, though, by sharing with you the voices of some others that were invited by President Trump to the Rose Garden. Those are the angel moms. These are people that the president has used to showcase some of the impacts uh, of illegal immigration. And, and in this case today, he invited two mothers, uh, our Jonathan Carl chief uh, White House correspondent caught up with one of them uh, whose son was killed by an illegal immigrant. Here's her reaction to the president's news today. What did you think about what the president announced here today? Um, I fully support him declaring the national emergency. I'm fully behind him on securing the border. Uh, I do have some reservations about the bill that is going to be signed, but I uh, support the national emergency declaration. you don't think it's tough enough? And there's a provision in there, 224A, uh, that states that anyone that has a relationship with an unaccompanied minor is eligible for amnesty. I think that's just going to be a magnet to attract uh, and I'm not a more migrants to bring unaccompanied minors through the border. And, and how, how do you think the president hears your message? I mean, he, he, he cites the angel moms all the time. What, what? I, I do believe he does. The first time I uh, met then-candidate Trump was in 2015, shortly after he announced that he was running. Uh, and when I told him the story of my son, I saw the look in his eye, you know, 
the sadness, the pain of a father. Um, and he has been very supportive of us um, since then. Why is the wall important? The wall is important because so many uh, illegal aliens are crossing the border every day. 90% um, of the people that are coming here and claiming amnesty um, are either not eligible or not showing up for their hearing dates. So they're just flooding our borders. We have 500,000 um, illegal aliens coming into our country each year. Our thanks to John Carl for that. And Catherine, before we end on this topic today, an interesting line from the president's speech is going viral on, on the Internet right now on social media mm -hmm. and actually could be quite detrimental to the president in court. Yeah, when he was discussing uh, the national emergency, he used the line, I didn't have to do this. Now, that is extremely significant because it's, I can imagine, going to pop twice. up. He did say it twice, going to pop up in, in all of these lawsuits that are filed. Then, then why did you do this in the first place? It begs the question. And as we know, the Department of Justice warns the White House, so he was very well aware of the legal challenges uh, that this is going to face. Yeah, conceding you didn't have to do it right. and saying something's an emergency is certainly uh, a disconnect. Exactly. Thank you uh, for that. We want to uh, continue today with uh, part of the latest installment in our series here brought to us by uh, reporter Ali Rogan up on Capitol. Capitol Hill, uh, shifting gears now to the looking ahead to the 2020 race. Ali Rogan recently, recently caught up with Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown in his office, which used to be President Barack Obama's Senate office, and what his hopes are for the future. Take a look. I'm Ali Rogan on Capitol Hill. One of the coolest parts of covering Congress is the fact that there's history everywhere you turn. In fact, six former presidents used to work in these very halls before they went on to the Oval Office. We're taking you inside those offices to see what it was like where these former presidents worked. Today, we're checking out the office of then-Senator Barack Obama. We're in the office of Senator Sherrod Brown. Senator Brown, thank you so much for letting Thanks. us in here today. Uh, this office used to be occupied by then-Senator Barack Obama, mm -hmm. who uh, I think went on to be president. I, I, I can't remember. I yeah. Um, so tell me, what does it mean to you to be occupying this office? Well, he, he left this office and, um, at the end of uh, 2008, obviously, yeah. and I was in the Russell Building, and this office was open. This is a bigger office, not because he became president, but because he represents a big state, mm -hmm. as I represent a big state. So there's there's a little more space allocated to senators in the biggest state. So this one was perfect, and I liked that there's a little plaque on the wall um, outside the door of every senator who later became president. So there's Kennedy's office, and there's Johnson's office, and there's Nixon's office, and I'd prefer Obama's office over Nixon's office if I had my <laughs> choice, and I did, so we moved in. I got to know him in my 06 race for the Senate. He came out and helped and did a number of events. Um, and then when he ran in 08, I spent a lot of time with him in Ohio, really more than in the Senate because presidential candidates kind of give up their Senate duties when they run. So I spent a lot of time on buses in Ohio and all over the place campaigning with them. So obviously, this has been the office of one former president so far. Are you going to try to make it two? Um, I maybe I really don't know, but I, I do I do predict that this office will produce because our country's going to last a long time and this building's really well built. That there's a good chance this office will someday produce another president of the United States. There are only 100 senators and. Our country will go centuries into the future, and this building will last. So we will see. Absolutely, they're <laughs> going to run out of plaque space. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much, Senator Brown. Appreciate Glad it. To do it. Thanks. And our thanks to Allie Rogan for that. We hope you had a great Valentine's Day yesterday. <laughs> this thing caught our eye. Uh, former President Jimmy Carter, Rosalind Carter, celebrating more than 70 years of marriage, took in the Hawks game in Atlanta <laughs> last night, basketball game. And check this out: they were on the Kiss Cam. <laughs> How about that? Oh, yeah.
former president and his wife still going strong uh, in their 90s. Look at that. Uh, and our salute to the Carter family there. All right. Very fun. Uh, we'd be remiss, though, if we didn't recognize a little more love, show a little more love today. A shout out uh, to a special member of our ABC News Live family and one of our biggest fans. There she is, the mother of our senior producer, Kat McKenzie. Thelma McKenzie uh, became one of the nation's newest citizens this week. There she is celebrating with an American flag and her certificate. Our hats Aww. off to her and the McKenzie family and a salute to senior producer Kat McKenzie. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us here in the briefing room. For Catherine Falders, I'm Devin Dwyer. We'll see you next time.